Hi folks, Neil here. We want to help answer all your questions about London. That's why you can listen to this guide in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this London guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge. You can get any question about London answered by real people right here. The latest galleries, West End shows, how to do the big attractions right, how to use the tube, where to find an absolutely beautiful Sunday roast right now. We are giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, no AI ever. And for a limited time, it's completely free. The Circa Travel app is available in the App Store right now or at circatravel.com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Circa. In this Start Here episode, we'll be listing a lot of places, people, and incredible things in London. This is an overview episode, a primer. We'll be getting into the city and its food, its history, culture, people, and personality. Plus, where to go with your kids, or without them. We're going to be telling you a lot, but don't worry. There'll be maps, notes, and info on the places mentioned in these guides in the Circa app as well as all the other full guide episodes to this wonderful city. So, whether you're already in the big smoke, heading there right now or sometime in the near future, or would just like to learn all about the city we adore, you're in the right place, because this is what we do. So just sit back, put your headphones on and enjoy the ride. Let's go to London. Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. Central London, right before nightfall. The smell of petrol, rain and chip fat. A statue of King Charles I gazes down on shoppers, tourists, buskers, lovers and businessmen. The latter searching for a cab I doubt they'll find. If you want to believe the brass placard bolted into the floor behind King Charles I, this is the epicentre of London. Trafalgar Square. It's one of the city's principal points for mass gatherings, protest rallies, political demonstrations, 
historical bloody battles, and today, large armies of pigeons. Here, you'll spy people wrestling with umbrellas or taking selfies under Nelson's column. Others stroll, unfazed by the weather, possibly a few pints of lager in, and probably with a lot more to come. This is the intersection of Charing Cross Road, Haymarket, and the Embankment, otherwise known as the City of Westminster. Within spitting distance of the West End, also nicknamed Theatreland, the River Thames, Piccadilly Circus and Soho, every direction has got the potential to lure you in. This city has many cities within its limits, as well as many different personalities, geographies and scenes that Londoners love to squabble about. Really, there is no centre. Depending on your postcode, there's many. The thing about grey, rainy, cold, pale London, the world's capital city, is that yes, all the cliches are true. It keeps growing in size and in diversity, and I'm pretty sure it's going to grow on you too. Long before the days of Google and Uber, official London cabbies had to learn every single one of the city's 25,000 streets, roads, alleys, cul-de-sacs, as well as the quickest routes and shortcuts. If they didn't, they'd fail their exam and lose out on the respected status held by today's black cab drivers. Cabbies are a certain breed. They're usually really chatty, nearly always opinionated, and more often than not, will tell you about someone famous they once drove to work. Lovely jubbly, there you go, see? Lovely jubbly, lovely jubbly! <laughs> and they're smart. That don't come from the real East End. East End is East End. London's Black Cab exam, the knowledge, is arguably one of the hardest tests to pass ever, and it takes about three years of study. But for those without a photographic memory, how do you get under the surface of this sprawling nine million people strong melting pot? In this guide to London, we're going to show you. And we're going to do it like a native. I'm Jennifer Carr. I'm a writer and also a producer for a travel podcast called Passport, which is made in Barcelona in Spain. But as you can probably hear, I'm a Brit and a Londoner. So if there's one place I know better than any other, it's the UK's culture-drenched capital. It's hard to beat for diversity, which is exactly why I adore it. Get ready for top tens, must-dos, and the absolutely avoids. But also, this guide aims to show you London up close and personal. From knockout greasy spoons to sublime sky bars, we've run the gauntlet of Europe's biggest city, to bring you the best of Blighty's multi-ethnic metropolis. Where are you and how do you get around? Let's head east along the Strand, which follows the curve of the River Thames along its northern bank. If you view the city from above, you can see that this curving, serpentine-like river has played a massive role in how the city developed. When new bridges were built over the river in the 18th century, joining the oldest and only previous existing one, London Bridge, the city could suddenly grow in all directions. 
And it did. But the river clearly slices the city into a north-south divide, which is actually a great way to get your bearings in London if you're doing it on foot. So here we are, on the north side, at the Savoy Hotel, the first luxury crash pad for Bob Dylan, Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra, Charlie Chaplin, Sophia Loren, when they were all in town. And yes, our very own Queen is partial to a night here as well. The hotel is known for obscenely priced afternoon teas, all porcelain pomp and sandwiches with their crusts cut off. It'll set you back about 65 quid, so feel free to swerve that bill and cross the road into the city's thespian stomping ground, the West End. Here, the best of London's theatres rub shoulders, bound by the shopping mecca that is Piccadilly Circus. It's a slightly duller version of Times Square and not actually a circus. We're in the city of Westminster, folks. The price tags here are some of the highest in the city. Heading north, further up Shaftesbury Avenue, you're a good 20 minutes clip from the borough of Camden, where buildings lose their theatrical glow and bright-eyed thesps morph into goths, punks, students, and a multicultural mix of faces and dialects. Cosmopolitan eccentricity really lives here, and Camden's famous food markets tease you with multiple culinary options. Indulge in one of the Ethiopian curry stalls, and maybe eat it next to one of the nouveau goths overlooking Camden Lock. Believe it or not, this is only the tip of London's multicultural iceberg. As the UK's largest capital city, London stands on the River Thames in the southeast of England at the head of a 50-mile estuary that leads into the ugly North Sea. It's been a major settlement for two millennia and was founded by Romans in AD 43. Like Paris and Berlin, London was actually a swamp city and rose from wetlands and marshes to become the first port city on Earth to hit one million residents. There are actually two Londons, Greater London and the City of London, otherwise known as the City or the Square Mile. This is the financial district and most people working around here are nicknamed Suits, mainly because they're dressed head to toe in tailoring. The Square Mile is a 2,000-year-old legacy of the fortified Roman settlement of Londinium, it covers an area of about two square miles. Greater London, that's the London you're picturing, is everything else surrounding it. The city's actual limits are controversial because London grew less like a logical grid as seen in most modern capitals and more like a big post-Roman forest of settlements that gradually merged together. Ironically, it's actually classified by the UN as a forest thanks to its eight million trees but more about that in our London Outdoors episode, also in this guide. You can think of the city as a series of concentric circles spreading further and further out, one being the centre and six being the furthest. In Zone 1, you'll be smack bam in the West End, or Theatreland as it's known. And by the time you're in Zone 6, you'll be on the city's outer fringes, maybe at Heathrow Airport and London's Greenbelt. The Greenbelt by the way, was meant to stop neighbouring towns outside of London from merging into each other to preserve their unique character and keep those built-up areas to a minimum. But London, in true London fashion, isn't showing any signs of slimming or slowing down. So how do you easily navigate a city that's sprawling even farther by the minute? First, 
Buy an Oyster Card, London's first public transport pass. Get one when you arrive at any of the Underground's 270 stations. You can also grab these in London newsagents too. It's a reloadable smart card that lets you travel as much as you like in one day, buses included, with a capped fare. Keep it handy for fast entry and exit into and out of the stations. Second, familiarise yourself with London's colourful tube line map. It'll save you ending up in a random part of town, unless, like me, you love to get lost and do this deliberately. Third, stand on the right, walk on the left. This will quickly reduce or add to 30% of your sweat and stress levels on the tube's ancient escalators. Four, it's up to you if you want to act like a local and adopt the cardinal rule of London life. Don't make eye contact on the tube and don't talk to anyone. Five, the previous principle is definitely worth ignoring. Londoners secretly love tube travellers from other places who break commuter silences and actually have a conversation. Also, none of this is nearly as stressful as it sounds. London's city of Westminster is, without doubt, ground zero for the country's heritage. There are three World Heritage Sites, all in hopping distance here. Westminster Abbey, the Palace of Westminster and the Tower of London. The tower sits on the north bank of Tower Hamlets, dripping with a bloody history, crown jewels and iconic beefeaters in fluffy hats. Number 10, Downing Street, that's the Prime Minister's home, is south of the river in Westminster a short walk from Westminster Pier. You can take a catamaran from this pier all the way south down the river to Greenwich, and you should. We'll head here in our London Outdoors episode as a must-do day or even a half-day trip, but to give you a quick heads up, it's a great way to chalk up some serious landmarks via catamaran. St Paul's Cathedral, Tower Bridge, the Tower of London, MI6 and Thames House, otherwise known as our very own MI5 domestic intelligence buildings for the Bond fans. The centre point of Westminster is Big Ben, a 96-metre-tall clock tower with four faces that's been chiming since 1859. It kept time for London even when the Houses of Commons got bombed in World War II. This is also where the best, or worst, of UK politics and lawmaking happens. Behave yourself! Be a good boy! The Palace of Westminster home to the Houses of Parliament and the House of Commons. In May 1605, a Catholic dissident by the name of Guy Fawkes tried to blow up these buildings with gunpowder. It didn't quite work. He was caught the night before, then sent to the tower to be tortured and eventually hung, drawn and quartered, aka sliced up. His body parts were displayed throughout London as a warning to others. Less gruesomely, the UK still commemorates this almost crime every November the 5th with fireworks. Depending on which side of the river you hang out in, there's a real difference in the pace, people, conversation and architecture. Really, this all boils down to money. The North's fast-paced and full of journalists, politicians and financiers scurrying in and out of the city's iconic financial and political establishments. While the South Side is slower, simpler and greener. It used to be cheaper and nastier too, but definitely not so now. To get the gist of how London's wealth is divided up and mapped out per postcode, 
Think of the Monopoly board's most coveted cards. Mayfair, Park Lane, The Strand, Piccadilly Circus, Regent Street, Bond Street, Marlebone. They're all north. If you cross the Westminster Bridge over from Parliament and Big Ben on the north side, you'll enter the borough of Lambeth on the south, which is where you'll find Waterloo Station, named after the famous Battle of Waterloo and the busiest train terminus in the whole of the UK. Be wary of pickpockets here. Generally, the pace south side is slower than the north, so be prepared to feel like you're going from fifth gear down into second when you walk south across the bridge. People linger, chat and dawdle in a way that they'd never do north side. Whatever side of the river you find yourself on come Friday night, it doesn't actually matter. Dive headfirst into the nearest rowdy local boozer, that slang for a pub. Order a cold pint or something stronger. You'll probably find us Londoners at our most jolly on these Friday nights down the pub, and maybe a little bit tipsy too. Wrestle your way to the bar, holler your conversation until you lose your voice, and possibly forget where you're staying. The main point is, pick your side of the river, then let's get going. We're going to throw a lot of names and places at you, so don't worry about taking notes. We'll put it all down for you in the Circa app and at circatravel.com. There you'll find lists and maps and itineraries, all the resources you need. So for now, just listen and enjoy London. The weather. London has a bad rep for weather. This is as much down to movie cliches and the British talent for moaning about it as it is actual data. We indulge in weather talk like it's a national sport. We love talking about the rain, the slushy sleet, the Baltic cold, the nippy chill. And if it's really freezing, that will be a moment to use the old Navy phrase, cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. But here's the thing. London is actually drier than Rome, and it clocks up 1,500 hours of annual sunshine, which is hardly Costa Rica, but I'm here to reassure you, it isn't that bad. However, as a former Londoner, accustomed to unpredictable storms, packing a raincoat or a brolly, that's English for umbrella, is pretty smart. Summers in London are lovely, around 73 degrees. Winter can drop to a chill 46 degrees, though, especially in February. Snow is unusual, thanks to a blend of the London underground keeping the actual ground warm and a temperate maritime climate. If you're not a fan of rain, though, avoid October for its predictable rainfall and visit in February, the driest month, instead. On sunny summer days, most Londoners argue there's no better city on Earth. The vibe is buzzing, Streets are packed with people drinking pints and proudly sporting sunburns. The city's 3,000 parks are packed with people on stripy deck chairs and masses of picnic revelers, while numerous city beaches or sandy rooftops lure you in with daybeds and dirty martinis. Come wintertime, the sun sets around 4pm. But for what it lacks in daylight, London compensates with atmospheric pre-festive build-up killer winter markets, and of course, roaring fires in pubs, offering belt-loosening roast dinners and other comfort cuisine. Check out the full spectrum of Brit foodie pub hotspots in our London Eat Here episode.
What happened here? A brief history of London. London's got a hell of a history. Settled in 6000 BC by hunter-gatherers, the ancient Romans arrived in 43 AD to settle a trading port they called Londinium. They built the first bridge over the Thames not long after, in 50 AD, to support troops and trading ambitions. There have been many reincarnations of this original bridge since, but the only part that remains is the entrance into St Magnus the Martyr's Church, originally built on the left of the bridge's entry point. Today, you can find it in Lower Thames Street, close to Monument Tube. The city has endured centuries of ransacking, conquering, rebuilding, attacks, invasions, and a generous dollop of pyromania. Know that childhood nursery rhyme, London Bridge is falling down, falling down? It's rumoured to be about the regular destruction of London Bridge. And at the time of the rhyme being written, it was allegedly the Vikings. Even so, London's destruction was quickly reformed by the Stuart and Tudor dynasties until disaster struck in 1665. The Great Plague hit the city, killing 100,000 people, which was a quarter of Londoners at the time. The Great Fire of 1666 finished off many more one year later. Although there's a theory that it got rid of the Black Plague, which was obviously killing lots of Londoners the year before. On the brighter side, London's architecture got an upgrade. Buckingham Palace and St Paul's Cathedral were reconstructed after the Inferno. In 1694, the Bank of England sprang up. It played a big role in London, quickly transforming into a global financial powerhouse. By 1840, the city had hit the two million people mark, with plenty of filth, cholera and death on the side. This was a time of Queen Victoria's reign, the end of the 1800s, when the London Underground opened up and the notorious serial killer Jack the Ripper preyed on women in East London's grimy back streets. In World War I, air raids over London cost the city some 2,300 souls. During the Second World War, the Nazis carried out a horrific bombing campaign between September 1940 until the following May in 1941. Eight solid months of bombing became a terrifying new normal. A dark chapter for Britain, known as the Blitz. The whole city went through an indefinite blackout. Wanton, indiscriminate bombings of London are, of course, a part of Hitler. While many Londoners, including my grandma, sought refuge in air raid shelters and the deep tunnels and platforms of the London Underground. The Blitz had such a big impact on London and Londoners that we've dedicated a whole episode to it. Check it out in the Larger London Guide. These days, wartime still echoes through the entire city, if you know where to look. What initially grew from London's bomb sites, which was social housing or car park empires, were torn down decades later and replaced with the current alternative, pricey, glass-fronted residential developments and plazas. But the damage from World War II played a massive role in transforming London into the architecturally diverse city that it is today. From Baroque to Gothic, Art Deco, Georgian, even postmodern, architectural porn is on tap. Just remember to look up. Politically now, here in the UK, divisions are bigger than ever post-Brexit. 
the country officially left the European Union at the end of January 2020. Today, political allegiance is best defined as two tribes, Euromainers, at 48% of voters, and the Leavers, the 52% that tipped the scales for Great Britain to leave the EU back in 2016. Londoners across all 32 boroughs turned out in torrential rain to vote. And London famously bucked the trend of the rest of the country, voting heavily to remain in the EU, which is why many Londoners were left shocked, teary, and reeling at the prospect of leaving. The London stock market plunged right after the vote. Serious stuff for the region. But what does that mean for you, the visitor? As far as Brexit affecting your experience of London in all its glory goes, fear not. It's as fast, furious and fabulous as ever. Because if there's any adjective I'd apply to this city, it's resilient. London doesn't give up. It adapts, it transforms, it morphs. But it doesn't break. The big must-do experiences. Hopefully you've gathered by now that London is a beast of a city. So it pays to have a strategy up your sleeve for the big tourist hotspots. First up, museums and galleries. London's got bucket loads of them. And best of all, most are partially or totally free. Let's make a beeline for South Kensington. Here you'll find the V&A Museum. That's Victoria and Albert, named after our former king and queen. Vast collections await you inside this cathedral building and include ceramics and fashion, or wallpapers and jewellery, some of it spanning 5,000 years back. A stone's throw away is the Natural History Museum, a marvel for kids and adults alike. It's got 80 million fossils, minerals, animal and plant specimens under its roof, including countless dinosaur bones, an earthquake simulator, and the skeleton of a giant blue whale called Hope hanging from the ceiling. Magic. The Science Museum next door promises you and your gang an immersive world of education and an IMAX 3D cinema screen the size of four double-decker buses. From space to climate change, there's a constant program of events, workshops and exhibitions to enjoy. If you're heading out west towards celebrity-loved Notting Hill, don't miss the Museum of Brands. It's a stone's throw from fashionista enclave Portobello Market and a nostalgia trip for Brits and foreigners alike. You'll pay about £9 for adult entry, but it's totally worth it. Now for the contemporary art lovers amongst you. Two words, Tate Modern. Situated on the South Bank in an old power station, this museum is part of the British Tate Institution and holds a collection of modern art from 1900 to the present day. With 5.7 million visitors annually, it's one of the top 10 most visited museums in the world. Most of the space is free to wander around, but some exhibitions have a small fee. Don't skip this one. The Royal Academy of Arts in Piccadilly is another winner. Going for 250 years strong, the venue is run by artists and architects who nurture the next generation of RA schools, the longest running art school in the country. The Royal Academies were set up as a kind of artistic society in 1768 by George III, with the intention of putting on an annual exhibition of works by living artists. Every year, 
Thousands of students apply to claim one of the 17 places on the RA's intense three-year programme. The Young Artists Summer Show here is a delight. The Tower of London. Officially Her Majesty's Royal Palace, the tower is a historic 1,000-year-old castle built by William the Conqueror in 1070 and today still gets your jaw dropping from its vantage point overlooking the river. The tower's hosted its fair share of murders, beheadings and torture and many remains of murdered monarchs have been excavated from different parts of the castle. The Crown Jewels are a guarded collection of historic kings and queens' crowns, robes and other items of ceremonial regalia. Many of them have been here for well over 600 years. Today, they're protected by bomb-proof glass and visitors are closely watched by more than 100 hidden CCTV cameras. Carnaby Street in Soho is one of those places that just feels so fashion. Music megastars including Jimi Hendrix, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, The Kinks, they've all hung out here. While style icons Bridget Bardot and Elizabeth Taylor were also Carnaby Street regulars. Today, it's a people-watching mecca and a good place to blow some money in some of London's best boutiques. Liberty, a glorious Tudor revival building and famous department store sits at the end of Carnaby Street and it's more than just a place to piss off your bank manager. It's also played a role on the London art scene by supporting young up-and-coming British fashion designers. Next up on the splurge list is Harrods, arguably London's most extravagant department store. It contains over 5,000 luxury brands, occupies over five square acres, and holds 150 years of extremely quirky and outlandishly rich history. There used to be an exotic pet store where you could purchase a panther, a tiger, a lion, even an alligator. And today it's more about the luxury pet spa and the lip-smacking food halls. Visit the Chocolate Hall when you go to the food halls for some handcrafted bonbons made right in front of you. Then there's the undeniable spectacle of lights that line the building's length along Brompton Road. Fittingly, this is the poshest postcode in town, Knightsbridge, a short hop from Hyde Park. Now, Hyde Park is one of the city's eight royal parks. Get off at Hyde Park Corner. Rent some rowing boats to enjoy the park's 40-acre recreational lake or brave the Serpentine Lido, the city's most iconic open-water swimming location. Here, you'll find the oldest swimming club in Britain. People from 15 years old to 70 years plus come daily for a dip and there's even an annual Christmas Day race. Membership for the whole year is only £20. In this grand old park, you'll also find a gallery of international art and summer night events, a Peter Pan statue and the elegant Serpentine Bar and Kitchen located in Patrick Gwine's iconic building on the east side of the river. It's a pit stop of serenity as London pulsates close by. On the opposite side of town, East London Shoreditch has become a solid option for banging street food, quality vintage finds, vinyl diggers and global artists. This throbbing heart of East London wasn't always so hip, but the last 15 years have seen it transform from derelict old breweries and warehouses into one of the city's premium postcodes. Go for the Sunday art market at the old Truman Brewery in Brick Lane, where 200 stalls of insanely good grub have earned it a reputation as East London's best street food market. Design lovers, meanwhile, 
will swoon at Redchurch Street, a two-mile stretch of fashion and perfection that backs onto Hackney, the next hood along from Shoreditch. It was recently voted one of the coolest neighbourhoods in the world by Vogue. We couldn't run through London's must-dos without a quick hop-over to Theatreland and Soho, London's risque red-light district, an LGBT plus community. There's loads of gay and lesbian-friendly bars here, including the legendary G.A.Y. on Old Compton Street, Soho's beating heart. Soho has actually been the centre of the city's sex industry since 1778, when the first brothel opened. But it's not dodgy or dangerous any more than other parts of London, just pretty damn kinky. Soho is also the place to grab last-minute theatre tickets for a pre-dinner show. There's usually some cheap seats at the TKTS booths close by in Leicester Square Gardens. You can also go on to lastminute.com for all the -the on-the-day deals. After a performance at the Dominion, the Phoenix or the Soho, wander onto Old Compton Street to soak up the early evening ambience. Quench your thirst with an excellent cocktail at Swift before fixing that rumbling belly. Now, from pit stop to sit down, Soho's one of London's best hoods for eating. Try Bao on Lexington Street for an insanely satisfying Bao bun stuffed with braised pork and sprinkled with peanut powder. Or Spanish stalwart Barafino on Dean Street for perfect garlicky prawns and cuttlefish croquettes. There's Paradise, where mutton rolls or roasted baby squid curry transport taste buds to the venue's Sri Lankan roots while Lena's stores on Greek Street is born off the back of Soho's most famous Italian deli of the same name, over on Brewer Street. The pasta for this restaurant is handmade here, then biked over daily. The spaghetti with Dorset crab and chilli, or the 30-egg yolk taglionini with black truffle are life-changing. Or why not hit Berenhack on Romilly Street for its lick-the-plate-worthy hummus, 70s Iranian funk playlist and ethereal candlelit courtyard. Drinking and dancing is what Soho is made for. Head to Ronnie Scott's, an upstairs bar on Fifth Street. It's amazing for Afro-Latin live jazz, fierce cocktails, and a crowd that is ready to get down. For something more risque, do as Lady Gaga, Madonna and Rihanna do when they're here and shimmy on down to Cirque Soir on Ganton Street. It's burlesque, but not as you know it. For something less steamy and more family-oriented, swing past Tottenham Court Road and keep an eye out for the box office booths that sit on the intersection. You'll often find decent last-minute tickets here to some of the West End's longest-running shows and loads more theatrical hits. Also, if you're here in August, it's Kids Month, where adults can take kids into performances for half price all month long. If you're into theatre but don't fancy the crowds of London's theatre land, try The Cut in Waterloo, a road that holds two stellar options for theatre lovers. It's actually a bomb site where 54 people sheltering in a bakery had died during the Second World War. The Old Vic and its young sister, the Young Vic Theatre, both nestle on a quiet road here packed with market stalls. The latter started its life as the first residence of the Royal National Theatre under Laurence Olivier, and was created to offer classless, experimental theatre for a new generation. 
Expect to walk to your seats via the backstage and have actors walking amongst you before the curtain even comes up. And for pre-theatre dining, hit the Anchor and Hope, just a few doors down. It's one of the top gastropubs in London. Speaking of food... Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Grub. From the cheap to the fine. In a culture shaped by cuisine. Ah, London. You foodie paradise. There's 40,000 restaurants here. Many of them capture each area's immigrant heritage in a fusion of flair and flavour. Given the UK's national dish is allegedly chicken tikka masala, let's kick off with some curry stalwarts. Whitechapel and Bethnal Green is made up of a thriving Bangladeshi community who migrated here back in the 70s. Go to the hugely popular Tayabs on the Whitechapel Road, but Lahore One and Dilpasand are close by and great alternatives if all the tables are taken. For a more modern spin on authentic Indian, Dishoom in nearby Shoreditch serves up a Bombay-style cafe ambience and the best black dal I've ever eaten. Perhaps less known is London's nose-to-tail dining scene. This is a movement for more creative, seasonal, sustainable eating, where chefs use every inch of the ingredient, be it a simple carrot or an entire cow. A musco? Michelin-starred St John a sparsely furnished former smokehouse in Farringdon. Be prepared to overthrow your assumptions about bland British cuisine and tuck into ox tongue, beetroot and horseradish, or a pheasant and trotter pie. Sounds scary, tastes superb. Wash it all down with a chapel down wine, sourced from vineyards near my dad's house in Kent. This is the place I'd send anyone who thinks that Britain lacks a culinary identity. It's best of British, on a plate book in advance. Other nose-to-tail rising stars include Kiln in Soho for fiery Thai that features bits of the pig, goat or chicken you'd never imagine enlivening a curry, or Smoke and Salt with a strictly seasonal menu served up inside an old shipping container in Brixton. Where next? The real question you should be asking is, what cuisine doesn't London have? Head to Hackney for a slice of Vietnam if something slurpy and soothing calls you. The Kingsland Road connects the neighbourhoods of Hackney and Dalston. It's referred to as the Faux Mile because of the many restaurants that sprung up after Vietnamese refugees fled to Britain in 75. Today, you'll see suited city flyers rub shoulders with students in these low-cost eateries, lured by some of the best flavours this side of Hanoi. This road was my medicinal backup whenever I fell ill during my Dalston days, 
nothing like a few bowls of pho to kick a seasonal cold into touch. Go to Cartray for fragrant monkfish with dill and spices cooked in a skillet at your table. Or try my old favourite, Songkai Cafe. Allegedly, the pho broth is cooked in secret by the owner before the staff start their shifts, so they can't steal the recipe. You can't really experience London without chowing down on a Sunday pub roast or washing away a hangover with a full-fat, greasy fry-up. It doesn't get more London than carb-loading like this if the opportunity takes you. Fortunately, we've given lots of airtime to both in our extensive Eat Here episode of this guide because the truth is London pubs and the London pub gastro scene deserve an episode all of their own. But since we're here, and if you're not too woozy from too much booze the night before, head north to Angel in Islington. It's home to a belt-loosening bunch of award-winning gastro boozers. Angel is one of London's most concentrated neighbourhoods for epic places to eat. Once known as the Devil's Mile because of its high crime levels, drunkenness and prostitution, Upper Street in Angel has seen it all. But it was also a place for travelling tradesmen in the 17th century. As local gentry departed from the road, many houses became popular public inns for travellers passing through in need of a bed and a meal. Charles Dickens described the area in 1870 as among the noisiest and most disagreeable thoroughfares in London. Today, it's still noisy, but more in a bustling, yummy-mummy, expensive furniture shop kind of way. It's also got one of the densest populations of restaurants and gastropubs in the whole of the UK. Here's my picks as a former Islingtonite. First, the Draper's Arms, located behind Angel in Barnsbury. This pub's found in a quiet leafy street in between Georgian bay-windowed houses and council estates, a typical polarity found in M1, where extreme affluence intersects with lots of social housing, some of which date back to the 1920s. Grab a table in the pub's charming garden and tuck into roasted duck breast, roast pork belly, or slow-roasted shoulder of lamb, all served with crispy spuds, Yorkshire pudding, veggies, and a silky red wine gravy. Second, the Narrowboat. Located beside the Regent's Canal, this friendly waterside pub is a stone's throw from Angel Tube. Get a table outside and watch as commuting kayakers eye up your fluffy Yorkshire puds. The term greasy spoon actually comes from America and refers to a small, cheap eatery like a diner. In our case, it's where to go for a typical fry-up of eggs, beans, sausage, toast, bacon, mushrooms, and in some places, black pudding. That's blood sausage. Also called a full English. Wash it all down with a sugary mug of builder's tea. If you're into acai bowls and low cholesterol, this brekkie mightn't be for you. But if you are up for it, go Southside to the Electric Cafe in Tulls Hill. Here, the toast comes buttered and hot, while the plate's overflowing with black pudding, beans, bacon and two large fried eggs. Another winner is Andrew's, a much-loved institution on the Grays Inn Road. And last but not least, a potted history of pies. One typical brick comfort food that's made a resurgence of late is the humble pie and mash, 
The Greeks were the first to develop something resembling pastry from flour and water. Then the Romans, circa the second century BC, began to create a range of fillings that morphed into meat pies. The dish originally came out of kitchens around the London docks and is perhaps the most working-class meal ever for Londoners. Pie and mash shops sustained Londoners through some really dark times, including the Industrial Revolution and the Blitz. They were devoured by workers in the 1800s from roadside carts, but shops started popping up in London's industrial docklands and all through the East End soon after. Today, some of the locations remain, many with elegant green-tiled interiors, marble floors and an art deco aesthetic. Each shop has its own secret ingredient to give pies a signature twist, a homemade chili vinegar, a subtle herb. Really, pie and mash is as much about the homemade, family feeling as it is the food. Head to Arment's Pie and Mash in Woolworth and order some jellied eels on the side, Goddard's in Greenwich for its epic lamb and rosemary pie, or Manz's over in Bermondsey by Tower Bridge, the oldest of London's still standing pie and mash shops. Local culture, London's Dunkirk spirit, and by postcode festivals. Londoners work hard and party harder. In every nook, cranny, and hidden cul-de-sac this megacity, there's a revelry, celebration, or festival waiting to happen. As much as we might appear uptight and reserved, that's a smokescreen, folks. Londoners live it to the fullest. Much of London's cultural outdoor activity happens in the summer. Hyde Park is a major player in the summer festival calendar. From Taylor Swift to Pearl Jam, Paul McCartney to Green Day, some of the world's biggest bands have all performed here at the park's British summertime 10-day musical extravaganza. Book tickets in advance with our link in the notes. Out east in Hackney is Victoria Park, or Vicky Park, as the locals know it. It opened in 1845 and was the UK's first public park to be born off the back of an Act of Parliament. It was introduced to improve the health of local residents by encouraging outdoor pursuits. Victoria Park was famous for its public speaking area near the Victoria Fountain, where anyone could mount a box and have a rant about whatever was bothering them, political or personal. A bit like the East End's own version of Hyde Park's Speaker's Corner. Since then, it's morphed into what is basically the People's Park, where many political rallies have taken place. In 1913, British women's rights activist Sylvia Pankhurst led a march from the East India Docks to Victoria Park to raise awareness for women's rights. Vicky Park's 213 grassy acres also hosted the Rock Against Racism music event in 1976, which helped to unite Londoners against prejudice from far-right organisations. Today, Lovebox Festival is another key diary date for East End revellers. It takes place in Victoria Park each summer and attracts the likes of Snoop Dogg, The Flaming Lips, Florence and the Machine, and other big names. Word of advice, dress for all seasons. The weather gods can be pretty unkind during British summer festivals. If you're visiting during August and in the mood for a little Caribbean spice, make some time for the legendary annual Notting Hill Carnival. A three-day Caribbean carnival event that's been going strong since 1966. 
This carnival blends outlandish floats, dazzling dancers in full carnival dress, armies of enthusiastic steel drum bands and the biggest, loudest street sound systems and DJs for true multi-sensory overload each August bank holiday, which falls on the final weekend of the month. I can vouch for this as an A-grade authentic London experience. Do yourself a favour though and download the Carnival's official app before so you can navigate the endless stream of floats, parades and parties that fill Notting Hill's cordoned off streets and roads. Sizzling Jamaican jerk chicken stalls will keep your energy up between dances, while the Labbrook Grove Friday night pre-Carnival warm-up steel bands are worth going for alone. Renowned UK DJ Norman Jay plays here every year and if you can find the Sancha Panza sound system, go. London's Great Outdoors. Alfresco fun in London is something us Brits don't take for granted, partially because a glimpse of sunshine can quickly turn into a right royal washout. Nevertheless, we're an optimistic bunch, so there's always loads of stuff lined up to tempt you outdoors, be it sport, culture, cinema, or a slow, leisurely stroll down the capital's peaceful canal paths and waterways. The perfect way to round off a busy summer day's exploring is the Somerset House annual Film 4 summer screening. Recline outside on cushions or cobbles to watch blockbusters and art house cinema. Also, if a sore bum isn't appealing to you, upgrade your cinema ticket with a backrest and a small blanket, or go for the director chairs ticket for real luxury. Culture junkies will also love Opera Holland Park, a critically acclaimed performing arts centre and restored glass auditorium out west near Notting Hill. Opera Holland Park's history can be traced to 1605, when Holland House, the backdrop of this gorgeous canopied theatre, first came into existence. The season opens every May. And yes, look ahead. For something more adrenaline fueled, head to Docklands. In 1802, the West India docks were the world's busiest shipping port and the heart of the British Empire. Today, it's Canary Wharf, a thriving financial and business district that has more suits than sailors these days. There's also plenty of action-packed activities to enjoy down on the Royal Victoria Dock, including stand-up paddleboarding, wakeboarding and paddleboard pilates. Meanwhile, south of the river, get ready to marvel at the city's astonishing green spaces. Let's start at Brockwell Park. I used to come running here for the views alone, as do four million other visitors each year. Not far from Brixton, this 125-acre, super hilly park is wonderful to get lost in. Go for the gorgeous Art Deco Lido to swim, even though it's unheated. Then there's the Field Day Festival every June, as well as basketball, tennis, volleyball, and a special bowling green. Be as active or as lazy as you want, but go, it's lovely especially if you have kids or dogs who need a good run. Speaking of which... London with kids. While we've toured a smorgasbord of adult city offerings, there's just as much magic for the little ones here. Let's kick off at London Zoo, close to Regent's Park, 
It opened in 1828, which makes it the world's oldest scientific zoo. It was the first of its kind to also open a reptile house, aquarium, and an insect house. During World War II, the zoo was shut down by the order of the government. High explosive bombs hit the rodent house, and the camel house also took a hit in 1941, when the Blitz was in full effect. No animals were harmed, but a zebra, donkey, and her foal escaped during the bombings. More recent escapes include Cholmondeley the Chimp in 1948. Apparently, he hailed a bus on Albany Street. Goldie the Eagle in 1965, and in 2016? A silverback gorilla. They got him back, don't worry. The kids who never seem to stand still wear them out with a treasure hunt at the British Museum. That muse, which stands for Treasure Hunt at the Museum, has five different themes between the British Museum and the Victorian Albert Museum in London. Each hunt gives you a deeper understanding of areas and key artefacts in the museum, and it's fast-paced enough to stop kiddos getting bored. This is especially great for kids over 10, who can be a little more independent exploring a museum. If kids or adults really fancy themselves as 007, don't miss the James Bond spy speedboat tour of the Thames. See unique filming locations such as MI6, Westminster Bridge and the O2 Arena as featured in numerous James Bond movies and receive a high-speed secret agent experience complete with waterproof poncho. The boats leave from the embankment or tower pier. For something more leafy, get over to the 260-year-old Royal Botanical Kew Gardens. Why? A giant LED beehive installation, for starters. It's a full multi-sensory experience packed with hundreds of glowing LED lights. There's also an 18-metre-high treetop walkway to test your vertigo on, a giant water lily pond and real-life water dragons in the Prince of Wales Conservatory. They'll be hiding amongst the shrubs. If you're in town during winter, definitely come here. It's turned into a true winter wonderland. Luxury in London. Perhaps you're here to push the boat out. That's Britspeak for splurging, like there's no tomorrow. In this city, that's easy. Let's start with the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea. Chelsea is an affluent mashup of colourful townhouses, pricey restaurants, A-list residents, the world-famous Sloane Street and the swinging 60s Kings Road. Chelsea is a hotspot for some seriously famous faces. For almost 300 years, Cheney Walk has been home to a huge amount of stars from the world of art, music, politics and literature. Rolling Stone's frontman, Mick Jagger, bought number 48 Cheney Walk for £50,000 back in 1968 with his then-partner, Marianne Faithful. Rolling Stone's guitarist, Keith Richards, lived at number three with girlfriend Anita Pallenberg, while fellow band member Ronnie Woods purchased number 103 in 2008 for a cool 7.25 million. A rock and roll postcode with price tags to match. Eating out here isn't for the faint of heart or wallet, but saying that, there's plenty of riverside dining options worth getting in debt over. For a bit of luxury in a unique historical space, reserve a table at the 100-year-old Bluebird on the King's Road. A former Bluebird Motors garage and later ambulance station, 
This restored restaurant lounge bar became an instant hit with local scenesters back in 97 when it opened under the watch of the late Sir Terence Comran. Go for lobster spaghetti and celebrity watching. Oh, and there's a dog brunch menu which gives you some idea about the clientele. Then there's Gordon Ramsay's three Michelin-starred, self-titled Gordon Ramsay restaurant in the Royal Hospital Road. If you're feeling flush, book the Inspiration Table, which requires a minimum £1,000 spend. Low-lit, with minimalist granites and wood interior styling, this bespoke experience allows a maximum of four people to get closer to the head chef and the team's creative flair. And of course, an award-winning feast. Isle of Skye scallops and Cornish turbot keep things British and delicious. Another part of town that's filled with black Amex flaunting folks is Belgravia. This is where you'll find the opulent department store Harrods and its more refined next-door neighbour, Harvey Nichols. My tip is to go to the fifth-floor bar of Harvey Nicks, gulp in some impressive rooftop views and flutes of crisp champagne. Or you can quaff a glass and three Jersey oysters for under £20. This neighbourhood is out-and-out out swank. It's a playground for the filthy rich. Think Roman Abramovich rich. More than half the houses here will set you back at least £2 million. Gold-plated Lamborghinis and Aston Martins dominate the roads here. But Belgravia wasn't always like this. In the 18th century, the area was once known as Five Fields and was actually a swampland infested by robbers and bandits. If you want a seriously swish sleepover in this hood, check into the Bulgari Hotel over the road from Hyde Park. It'll only set you back £900. So you may as well book a spa treatment too. The rose gold quartz facial is a steal at £350. If you're less interested in sleeping and looking for quite the opposite, there are some top night spots for the seriously loaded next door in Mayfair. Tape, Libertine and Charlie, named in honour of Charlie Chaplin, are just a few to get dressed up for. This part of town is the most expensive spot on the Monopoly board, and it lives up to its reputation as one of the priciest neighbourhoods on the planet. Until the early 18th century, this area remained largely rural, but got popular fast thanks to its annual May Fair. The land was developed in the 18th century into upper-class housing by the Grosvenor family, one of London's most influential property names. Just stroll into the breathtaking Grosvenor Square off Bond Street. It's the second largest garden square in London. Every square inch of this 2.5 acres of real estate here belongs to the heir of the Grosvenor dynasty, the seventh Duke of Westminster. He inherited tens of billions, and much of London, at just 25 years old. Back in the real world. Let's go for the perfect dirty martini close by at the Connaught Bar. Sparkling glasses, candlelit tables, and trusted mixologists take care of you in this wood-panelled ambient hotel bar. Or press the invisible panel on the sliding door at Umu, in celebrity-frequented Bruton Place, close to Green Park. This high-level Japanese restaurant leaves taste buds singing and your credit card bruised. In one patron's words, perfection needs to be paid for. I love Rocker for a slightly more laid-back and a touch more affordable Mayfair splurge. Elegant wooden interiors combined with an attentive staff, open kitchen and contemporary menu. I could eat their crab and black cod dumplings with chilli dressing. 
every day, forever. Bedding down in Mayfair is also a predictably extravagant affair, so you might as well max that plastic out with a sleep at Brown's, a Rocco Fort hotel that opened its doors in 1837 and has since welcomed many an Oscar winner, musician and A-lister into its slice of luxury calm. It's also where the first telephone call in London was made by its inventor, Alexander Graham Bell. Or why not do as Hollywood royalty do and check into Claridge's? In the 50s, many movie stars, including Audrey Hepburn, Cary Grant and Bing Crosby, all made it their temporary London residence. Today, it's still frequented by plenty of Hollywood elite. Spencer Tracy famously said he'd rather go to Claridge's than heaven when he died. Last but not least, there's the intimate Mayfair townhouse, a 17th century building that's packed with all the mod cons and comforts you'd hope for at just £450 a night. When you go to London, remember this. From the characteristically fast-paced centre of Soho in the West End to the hipster postcodes that give London an ever-changing facelift whatever time you go, the city is an open book, one with many contradictory and often muddling plot lines. Here, the poorest social housing can and does rub shoulders with two million pound homes, and the city's geographic complexity is only matched by its multicultural contrast. London, and the Londoners that make up this city's character aren't always considered the friendliest lot, especially if your first encounter with them is on the tube during rush hour. But just know that they'll be the first to jump to your aid if you ask for help, and the last ones to drink you under the bar. Thanks for listening to our London Start Here episode. Now that we've enticed you into this buzzing historical metropolis, remember to check out the other London episodes in this guide for deeper dives into the city's fashion scene, the history of the Blitz, and a very British music odyssey. Whether you're heading to London right now, sometime in the future, or would just like to learn about a place we truly love, you'll get instant access to the full guide plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or download the Circa app today, where you can also get pictures and maps and notes on this episode and more. Maybe you'll want to sample our guides for Rome, Iceland, New York, LA, and many more to come. Circa, love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.